G'day mates, Matty Graham here from Exponential Performance Coaching. Welcome to episode 48. In today's episode, we are talking about psychology. How to improve your mind so it is on the same level as your physical performance. And we're also talking about commuting. Can you use commuting effectively as training? Let's get into it. Welcome to the Exponential Performance Podcast. Join sports scientist and performance coach Matty Graham to find out how to train smarter and maximize your performance no matter who you are. G'day mate, welcome to episode 48 of the Exponential Performance Podcast. It is good to have you tuned in listening. What's been happening this week? What are you training for? Post a comment in the comment section below. It'll be awesome to hear what you have got on the cards coming up. Now, after the last episode of the podcast, episode 47, where I talked around Strava. I talked around Strava and how it can negatively impact your performance. I had a number of people hit me up and ask if I use Strava or am I just a Strava hater? Well, no... I don't hate Strava, uh, and yes, I do have Strava. I do have a Strava account, but I don't really use it, to be honest. Uh, I always make sure that I get my training data into Training Peaks, which I use for tracking uh, my training load and that sort of thing. But when it came to Strava, I don't know, I just didn't used to upload it, didn't tickle my fancy. But... What I think I need to do is I think I need to up my Strava game a little bit. If I'm going to have these opinions about Strava, uh, I suppose I better uh, walk the walk, so to speak. So I am working currently on increasing my Strava presence. Uh, so come over and join me on Strava if you too are doing the Strava thing. My account is under Matty Graham, just my name. Uh, and I think if you go www.strava.com slash athletes slash Matty, M-A-T-T-Y-G, you'll find me over there. Otherwise, just search Matty Graham. And come and see what I'm up to. I have been doing a bit of training, uh, working on getting back on the bike after a six-month uh, break and also uh, just digging myself out of the winter hole had some really awesome spring weather to get some riding in and today what do you know it snows right down in town so luckily it's a recovery week for me so if you are keen to come and join me on Strava it would be awesome give me a follow I'll follow you back I'll see what you've been up to you can see what I'm up to big happy Strava families I'm also going to talk a little bit more about my training uh, in a few minutes after the psychology performance temple pillar um, and that sort of links back into what I have been up to on Strava and what people have mentioned about my training. Now before we crack into the psychology pillar of the performance temple just a reminder that if you want some high quality structured training without the price tag that goes along with my personalized training make sure you check out the wide range of training plans over at the Exponential Performance Coaching website. There's a tab up there 
training plans. Now there's specific uh, training plans for specific races and events as well as some generic plans as well. So go have a look at those. If there's something over there that you think might be able to help you, then you can get that. Otherwise, if they can't find what you're looking for, let me know uh, and we can work on developing a plan that suits your needs but is generic so that other people may also be able to benefit from it as well. All right, let's jump in to the Performance Temple Psychology Pillar. This is the fourth and final pillar of the Performance Temple Psychology. And I am reading straight out of the Performance Temple Introductory e-handbook that you can download for free over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com. So if you have not already got your free copy of that, make sure you get over there now and download a free copy. So here we go. Reading from the Psychology Pillar of the Performance Temple Handbook. When athletes are asked what percentage of their performance is physical and psychological, they give many different answers. Some say 50-50, others say 90-10. It seems that the higher the level of the performer, the higher they rate the psychological component of their performance. In actual fact, To be at the top of your game, no matter what level you are, you need to be 100% physically ready and 100% psychologically prepared. Any less, and you're not going to be able to maximize your full potential. The body and the mind are one and the same. They are typically talked about separately for ease of study or explanation. In the performance temple, psychology is one of the key pillars that supports and in fact creates your physical performance. You cannot have one without the other. No matter how hard you try, you cannot think yourself to the finish line. And at the same time, a countless number of athletes have sabotaged their own physical performance through negative thoughts and self-doubt, never allowing their hard-earned physical fitness to show through. Developing your why. Having a clearly defined goal is critical for success. While most athletes know that a goal must be smart, as in specific, measurable, adjustable, realistic, and time-bound, goals are pointless unless you have established your why and you have an action plan set up. I know people who have stacks of self-help books that cover goal setting and how to achieve personal success. No matter how many times these people read these books or stare at the pile of books, they will not improve unless they take action, unless they have a significant why. Why is it important to you to complete an Ironman, decrease your body weight by 5% or improve your half marathon time by 8 minutes or rehab your injury so you can ride injury free. Without a why, your goal is worthless. 
want versus willpower. Don't you just hate those athletes who seem to have endless motivation? They continually get up early in the morning to train hard come rain, hail or shine, while others, maybe you, struggle to drag yourself out the door even on the best days. Developing a drive to perform the long, hard, tedious and often boring training required for success is critical for any athlete. However, it seems that the perception of how athletes see these sessions is a huge component to motivation. If you think about your training sessions in the terms I just used above, long, hard, tedious and boring, then it's no surprise that you struggle to get out the door as you're consistently battling with your will power. Successful athletes often think of their training as fun, challenging and an adventure with every session acting as a stepping stone towards their end goal. They want to get out the door to train even if it's raining, windy and dark. Your goal has to be so exciting that it makes you want to get out the door and push yourself through hard training sessions. No matter who you are, willpower will only get you so far before it runs out. The training becomes too demanding or the weather is too wet and cold. The first thing an athlete must do is determine their why. Nobody can find your why for you. It has to come from within and be something that is so strong that it draws you to push yourself to your limits and beyond. Now a little story for you. In February 1990, Buster Douglas became the first person to knock out Mike Tyson, who was the heavyweight champion of the world. This was a task that most thought of as impossible, and the 42 to 1 odds supported this thought. However, what many do not know is that 23 days before the fight, Buster Douglas's mother had died. Before she died, she told everybody who would listen that her son was going to beat Mike Tyson. Following her death, he made a vow, a commitment that he was going to win for his mother. Leading into the fight, every waking moment was focused on his mum and how he could win the fight for her. He trained harder than he'd ever done before. And when he climbed into the ring for that fight, he was not fighting for himself. His why was bigger than himself. Now, despite being knocked down in the eighth round, Douglas fought a weakening Tyson in the ninth round before landing a winning blow in the tenth, knocking Tyson to the floor where he was counted out. Buster Douglas thus became the new, undisputed, heavyweight champion of the world. And the fight became one of the biggest upsets in boxing history. During the post-fight interview, Douglas broke down in tears saying that he had won for his mum. Why do you do what you do? While there's no so-called recipe for your why, 
there are some common factors that show through in research of successful athletes. Your drive needs to come from within, which is commonly called intrinsic motivation. Your goal needs to be out of reach, but not out of sight. Your goal should excite you. The hairs on the back of your neck should stand up, and your skin should tingle when you think about it. If these things do not happen, then it's either not important enough for you, or it's too big and out of sight, that subconsciously, or even consciously, it's not achievable. Without these intrinsic feelings and attachment to your goal, it's all too easy to give up when the going gets tough. And it will get tough. Ideally, you should be drawn to success rather than be running away from failure. While the threat of failure and pain associated with this, financial loss, embarrassment, disappointment, etc., can be a powerful motivator, In the long term, it can lead to negative associations, burnout, and self-doubt. For example, I have to win this race because otherwise I will feel embarrassed in front of my friends and family. When athletes have a goal that is drawing them towards it, they are more likely to avoid these negative associations, sustain their career, and be less likely to be knocked by unsuspecting obstacles. One way you can amp up your drive to complete your goal is to make it bigger than yourself. In the case of Buster Douglas, that one punch that knocked out Mike Tyson was bigger than him alone. It was for his mother. Another amazing example of endurance and drive is that of Eddie Izzard, who is an actor, comedian, and who also happens to be a transvestite. In an attempt to raise money for the UK charity Sport Relief, Eddie decided to run a thousand miles around the UK. Now, not coming from an athletic background made this an extreme challenge. He was not just running for himself, though. It was bigger than him. And you can check out an awesome BBC series about the run, which is well worth a watch. And I have added a link to this in the Performance Temple a free download if you want to check that out. It's well worth a watch. So that there ends the introduction of the Performance Temple Psychology Pillar. Now the Psychology Pillar is often one that endurance athletes find hard to to implement. They like doing physical things. So when it comes to these crazy thinking, witchcraft, mind changing things, They get a little bit funny about it. They don't really like it. So in the Performance Temple Psychology Pillar Handbook, what I've done is I have put in physical strategies that you can use to change your mental game. I find athletes, especially endurance athletes, uh, by nature are doers. They want to do things. If I was to tell you to go and sit down and meditate and think about things, Uh, and rehearse your performance you're probably not going to do it but for an example I outline a strategy uh, of using cold water exposure to help harden you up to control your breathing uh, and to increase your pain tolerance 
I provide a strategy that you can use when you're doing intervals uh, or you're usually doing a wind trainer session that allows you to work through pushing through the pain barrier and extending your ability to work harder. So I really like to incorporate mental training into the physical training because I think athletes relate a lot more to it. So check that out. It's only a dollar. It's not a major investment, but I hope it will help you towards your goal, whatever that may be. Now we're talking about commuting. I've been uploading for the last couple of weeks my training sessions to Strava and if you go and have a look at the sessions that I've done you'll notice that a lot of them are commuting. I commute to and from uh, the office or the gym that I work in in Wanaka from Hawea. Uh, I, I cruise in there, I don't work out of there all the time but when I do go in there I try and aim ride. What this allows me to do is double up, it gives me some training time uh, it gets me into work, saves money on the on the fuel for the car. We don't have to run two cars in and out. Uh, and I sort of kill multiple birds with one stone. And I got a little bit of a question about uh, commuting and how to use it effectively for training. So what I thought I'd do is provide a little bit of background, some of the positives around commuter training, uh, some of the negatives and some of the practical tips so you can get the most out of it, I guess. Now, I'm a bit spoilt, I guess, when it comes to commuting. I can ride door-to-door pretty much 100% on hard-packed gravel trails, completely off the road, uh, completely away from the road. My current commute is this beautiful ride down the Hawea River Trail next to this river, mountains, absolutely fantastic. Uh, I get to work. I work in uh, one of the high-performance sport New Zealand gyms, Cruising there, chuck my bike next to the wall, go in, full changing facilities, shower, etc. So um, I am a little bit um, spoiled. I did, however, live in Dunedin City for 10 years, commuted to and from Otago University there, and it was more of this, you know, traditional city commute. Uh, but again, a bit spoiled, full changing facilities when I got there, bike storage, uh, and Dunedin has got great cycling infrastructure to be fair um, to get through the city so I appreciate that everyone's not going to be able to commute but for those that have got the possibility uh, I think it is a really great way for building up base fitness primarily through a cumulative training load over time the idea is is that um, I usually use my commuting training over spring uh, because I'm coming out of usually a little bit of a, a, a low training phase or coming out of ski season, so I haven't been doing a heap of riding, doing doing more skiing. I find getting back on the bike, using the commuting as a general training load, general aerobic training load is really good. Uh, and just the accumulation of load brings my fitness up to a level where then I can start doing some good quality training on top of that. Now in terms of commuting being a positive effect on your training, I think it's really good because if you ride in in the morning and then home at night, you're getting this double day of training. You train in the morning, you deplete your muscle glycogen a little bit, then you ride home on 
tired leg, so to speak. This sort of training has been shown to be really effective in improving your metabolic efficiency. The afternoon training session is done on slightly or completely depleted legs. It improves, improves your fat oxidation, your mitochondrial biogenesis, which just means you get better at metabolizing fat because you're getting more mitochondria being produced. And mitochondria are just those little powerhouses that are in your muscles. And even if your ride's not a long ride, this effect starts to add up over multiple days. So you may only be, you know, you may be commuting three, four, five days a week, whatever it might be. But it's not so much the one-off long rides that make the big difference, it's the accumulation. And I think that's where the commuting becomes a really effective training tool, is that accumulative training load, especially with those double days thrown in there. If you want to maximize that, what you can also do is have a low carbohydrate uh, period during the middle of the day, so you're not refueling your muscles, so that afternoon ride is riding home on even more depleted legs. A little bit more advanced, but uh, can be good. The other thing I find really good is that you have to ride even if the weather's bad, especially in the afternoon. Often here in Wanaka, the weather will turn bad in the afternoon, so you get a beautiful ride in in the morning, uh, and then in the afternoon when you come go to come home, the, the wind's picked up and it's a, it'll be a headwind all the way home, uh, or it might start raining, but you might not have headed out in the afternoon if you didn't have to get home from work, if it wasn't your only way home. So it pushes you, it makes you harden up a little bit and get stuck into it. Now, I'll touch briefly on terms of you know petrol environment, cash in your back pocket, not having to run your car. And one thing in New Zealand is the health system as well. In New Zealand, we have a publicly funded health system. Uh, and really interesting, if you ride a bike, you directly save the health system $2.14 per kilometer. That's outrageously unbelievable, I think. Every kilometer you bike in New Zealand, you are directly saving the health system $2.14. And that's all due to reduced obesity, reduced cardiovascular disease, reduced cancer risk. All of these positive health effects from riding a bike and it's directly saving the health system that much money. I mean, honestly, in the future, people that are physically active will be getting uh, health rebates, I believe, or well, at least they should be, or extreme deductions in their tax or whatever it is. It's unbelievable. $2.14. Interestingly, if you walk, every kilometre you walk, commuting to and from work, you save... The, the health system, $4.27 in New Zealand. It's just ludicrous how much money can be saved by commuting. And that's not even taking into account, you know, petrol, the environmental, you know, improvements of decreased carbon dioxide. You know, I'm not even going to talk about it, but it's good for a lot of things, okay? It's good for a lot of things. I find that by commuting straight from work, especially on the way home, you avoid that magnetic pull of the couch when you get home. Have you ever walked in the door and you've got to get, get your gear on? 
you know, find something to eat, maybe you got to sort something out with the kids at home, and then you got to get back out the door to do your session. There's just this magnetic pull that it's so hard to get back out the door once you walked in in the in the evening or the afternoon um, after a hard day in the office. I find that's a huge thing. So I just like going, right, it's time to go home, get your gear on, jump on your bike, boom, home, done. You don't have to go out again. You can, you know, get sucked into the void that is the house in the afternoon. You don't have to break the suction with the couch to get back up and build up that motivation again to get back out. I I think one of the biggest things of commuting is it just maximizes time, and that's why I really like it. It maximizes your time. You're combining two things, commuting time and training time. Let's say driving, I'm about 15 minutes door-to-door. I can can be commuting, and it's about 45 minutes door-to-door. So if I was to drive and then go out for a training session, it just adds up all of this dead time sitting in the car. So I really like commuting for that maximizing time. And to be fair, I cannot commute every day. I try and get some like two, maybe three commuting sessions in, in per week. But I've got um, school pickups, school drop-offs that I need to do on some days. Uh, late finishes on some other days and I want to be home in time for family dinner. So I cannot commute every day and I understand other people can't. But on, on some days that I can, I, I make the most of it. And then I really like doing uh, intervals, if it's the right training phase, and then also taking the long way home sometime to boost up that uh, that duration. So you don't always just have to go home the fastest way. You can be a little cheeky and take the long way home, boost up that volume, it's all good. So I think commuting has a lot of practical, positive things that you can use both from uh, an actual physiological training perspective in terms of those double days, all the way through to you know being better for, your, for the health system and the environment, but then also that mental strength development as well in terms of training in the hard weather, training when you're you know, getting back on that bike when you're tired, your legs are empty, you've got a sore butt, whatever it might be. One other really left-wing thing that I sort of thought of is I find it's really good at making you better at planning, packing, and just developing those mental checklists. So if you've got to be at work, you're going to need your clothes for the day, you're going to need some lunch, you're going to need your notes for whatever meeting you've got in the afternoon. Uh, And I find this really good. And I know it sounds a bit strange, but when I come to events where... There's a, there's a bit of logistics involved with it. You know, just a simple act of packing my bag uh, and making sure I've got everything, everything's in the right place. It all becomes, uh, you know, just another day at the office, so to speak. So what are some of the negative things with this great commuting training double up? Well, it's not an overly specific training load and it can leave you tired. Okay, if you're commuting every day of the week, uh, you're just getting this general fatiguing load. It may not, or, or it may, be contributing specifically to your performance. So you need to be aware of that. That's why I like to use it in the early base phase when you're looking at accumulating general training load. But as you move to a more specific training phase, I would not use it as much because of this. 
It's it's just can make you tired without getting the benefits of it. That would be my number one negative. Is is that? Other than that, I don't think there's overly too many negatives uh, associated with commuting. Obviously, if you've got to be somewhere to drop the kids off, if you've got to take your car with specific gear for work or whatever it might be, obviously that's not going to work for you. But uh, hey, we're moving on. Let's have a look at some practical tips how you can maximise your commuting. Well, the first one is you can drive one way. So if you, for example, drive to work one day, leave your car there overnight and ride home that night and then pack all your gear up in the morning, ride back into work the next morning, drive the car home. So you're not getting that double day thing going on, you're still getting in some commuting kilometres so to speak. Driving in on a Monday with a car full of gear, leaving all this gear at work, whether it be clothes or food or whatever, just so you don't have to carry it all back and forth and then doing some commuting in and out throughout the week and then on Friday or whatever day you like really taking the car home um, with all of your gear or your washing your dirty stuff so that you know you're not having to carry it home in your bag I find that's quite an effective way if you want to have a big week of training uh, just get yourself set up so you've got everything you need so you're not having to cart it back and forth on your back which can be a good form of resistance training but can get a little bit old and hard on the on the shoulders and hard on the bum a little bit as well if you've got a hip bag can be really good to get yourself set up with a specific commuting bike maybe you don't want to be riding your good bike in and out all the time wear and tear that sort of jazz so getting yourself set up with a you know commuting bike maybe it's got some fenders or some mud guards on there so you're not getting flipped with water and that sort of crud on the way home Maybe it's got slightly slicker tyres, maybe it's got slightly gruntier tyres if you're wanting to take uh, a few detours on the way home. But hopefully you can see in that commuting can be a great way of accumulating some training load, killing two birds with one stone early on in your base season. I personally like it a lot. Uh, and if you come over and join me on Strava, you'll see quite a lot of my riding is commuting to and from the gym. Uh, let me know do you use commuting as part of your training or is it something that you would like to try but not 100% sure how to do it post a comment below it would be super cool to hear from you that is all I've got for you this week thank you very much for joining me remember if you have any questions whatsoever send them through to me and I will do my best to answer them here on the podcast. If you've got a question and you don't want to ask it via voice message, no drivers, send me an email, post a comment on whatever platform you are listening on, and I will do my best to answer that. If you've got a private question that you don't want the answer shared publicly on the podcast, head over to reach me. Uh, my reach me account and you can get some high quality low cost training information about your specific question over there and it's all private 100% to you no matter what platform you're listening on make sure you subscribe to stay up to date or come on over to Facebook or Instagram 
to continue the conversation over there. Finally, I guess I better add Strava to that list. Come on over and catch me over on Strava. My username is Matty Graham. Find me over there. It would be cool to see where you are riding, running, paddling, swimming, whatever you are doing. Until next time, get out there, train hard, but most importantly, train smart. Get the most out of that time you are putting in so you can maximize your performance. I'll talk to you later.